planted a church, Gulf Coast, and we planted it in Brandon, Florida. And this morning, Jerry Caesar is over there preaching at our sister church, Brandon, and uh, we want to continue to pray for him this morning. And Ryan Carver was actually scheduled to be here this morning and to preach. And then I received a phone call from Ryan on Thursday morning saying that eh, it wasn't feeling so good. He thought he was going to be okay, but didn't know. And so, hey, Steve, can you just have something ready to go on Sunday morning in case I'm not available? <laughs> Thursday morning, he calls me, right? <clears throat> and so we find out a little bit later that Ryan did indeed need to have surgery. He had appendicitis. He's back home. He went home the very next day. It was an outpatient surgery, and he's doing well. A lot of his pain is controlled by uh, mild uh, painkillers, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, stuff like that. Um, I understand that his greatest pain relief is when he stands up. So if he sits down, uh, he's not very comfortable. So I don't know if you know Ryan well or hung around him much, but he is, while he's not a jokester, he's a jovial guy. So right now it appears as if over the next couple of three days, even this week, he gets to be a stand-up comedian <laughs> in his, on his own home. Keep Ryan in your prayers this morning. He will be somewhat out of contact for the next week. The doctors have told him. Make sure you take a week. Right. Can't keep a good man down. I'm getting texts from Ryan, you know, last night. But Ryan's doing well. Becca, so glad things have turned out well for, for Ryan. And uh, let's just pray for him. Father, I pray for two things this morning, Father. One for Ryan, that you would continue to heal his body. Give him strength. Lord, give him rest. And we also pray for Jerry as he is preaching even this moment over at Gulf Coast in Brandon. Your word would be made alive in the heart of the people who hear you, and they will follow hard after you because of who you are and your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 7. And I want to tell you the title that I have for the sermon this morning is Forgiven Much and Loves Much. And because we're going to start in verse number 36, I think it's pretty important that you have a little bit of background to the story that I'm about to share with you, specifically because it starts in verse 36. Some things have already happened before verse 36, so it's important to catch up. Um, Jesus had just come through Capernaum, and on his way through Capernaum, there was a group of Jews who came to Jesus and said, look, there's a centurion who has been very kind to us as a people in, um, in Jerusalem. So, Jesus, please come pray for his servant that he would be healed. And so Jesus is on his way to Capernaum. And right before he gets there, the Jews that had come and asked Jesus to come to Jerusalem meet Jesus. And they have a message from the centurion. And the centurion said, look, I am not worthy for you to come into my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And indeed, the servant was healed. Then Jesus goes over to a city called Nain. And as he's approaching the city of Nain, the city gates, there's a funeral that's coming out of the city gates. There was a young man who had gotten sick and had died. And Jesus interrupted that funeral 
and he goes up and he touches the, the casket. He looks at this young man's mother who was weeping. You know, I can't, guys, she was a widow. First, she was a widow. Now she's lost her son. I can't begin to imagine some of the pain that she was in. She was weeping. For me, if that happened to my family, I'd be wailing. She was weeping. I can't imagine the pain, but you know what? I know some of you here know someone or are someone who's gone through some similar pain for yourself where you've lost a loved one. I want to tell you about Grief Share, which meets tomorrow night at 6.30. There's a handful of people that gather together over in our multipurpose room and walk through healing of their hearts. Encourage you to be a part of that. Invite someone. Someone said, well, Grief Share has been going for two or three weeks. Is it too late for me to join? No, it is not. It is a 12-week class, and it will pick back up again. So if you come in, let's say, I can't remember, let's say it's on fourth, it's, it's the fourth week that they meet. They'll pick back up as we restart over again grief share. So it's not too late to get involved. Jesus sees this mom weeping, and he goes over to the son, goes over to the young man and says, son, get up. And he sits up, and he starts to talk. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, the two reports that I've just told you about got electrified, went out through the surrounding area. And Luke records that fear seized them all. The people were glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Even John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and said, Are you the one that we're supposed to be looking for, or should we look for another? Luke records for us that in that hour, Jesus healed many people's diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So Jesus says to John's disciples, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. This report of Jesus was getting around. For Simon, the Pharisee, however, school is still out on Jesus. And he's jaded in what he thinks of this man whom some are saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And so Simon invites Jesus to his house to eat and hear more from Jesus. But I want to tell you from the get-go, Simon doesn't think much of Jesus. And you'll see that as we read the scripture. Because Luke opens up for us Simon's silent thoughts and makes them public. Now, that's the background to where we're going to pick up reading the scripture verses today. One more thing I need to let you know. While at the table, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he goes on and he tells Simon a parable, tells him a story. You should know that this is one of the briefest parables that Jesus shares. It's only two and a half sentences. But it is straight to the point. 
It needs no interpretation. Sometimes you will watch the disciples after Jesus has told the story or given instruction. They'll come away with Jesus and will ask Jesus, well, what did you mean? For example, when he talked about the seed being sown on the good ground and the fallow ground, they pulled them aside. Jesus, what did you mean by that? There's no record that they pulled Jesus aside and asked him, what did you mean by the parable that you just told, the one that we're about to read? It's straight to the point. Jesus is his own commentary. And he is going to apply what he's taught. He's going to give them the application. So let's read, starting with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold... A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even Forgive sins. And Jesus turns to the woman and says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, in our hearts this morning, would you allow us to see Jesus as this woman had seen you? To pour out our hearts in worship to you. To follow you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, some have called this message, this passage that we have just read, wordless worship from a nameless woman. We're not told her name. She doesn't speak a word, but she worships. So a question for you this morning is, what made up her worship? Because she didn't use words, at least not in this encounter. And Jesus commended her worship. 
So what made up her worship? And there's three takeaways this morning that we should take away from this passage. The first one is great love must find expression. Number two, great love for Christ requires a proper calculation of our debt. Number three, great love for Christ requires proper calculation of Christ's mercy. So first, great love must find expression. Simon invites Jesus to his home. But Simon deliberately calculates a meal where Simon did not even extend to Jesus the most basic of customs of welcome that were known very well in Judah and in Jerusalem. Over a hundred years, over a hundred years of culture, oil was given to the refreshed head. The kiss of peace was given as you entered into your host house. One water for one's feet to wash the grime off from traveling along dusty roads. To not offer these basic courtesies wasn't neglect. It was dishonor. It's dishonoring the guest, as in this Jewish culture, every nuance, every gesture is weighted with meaning. And into this unfriendly and hostile environment, the sinful woman comes. She was known as a sinner. We're not told what her sin exactly was, but she had a soiled reputation. When she learned that Jesus was in her city in the home of Simon the Pharisee, she forgets the risk of further potential rejection. All she cared about was drawing near to Jesus. Love must find an expression, even if it's risky. It's imperative for you to know up front that this woman had been forgiven prior to coming to Simon's house. She went and brought an alabaster flask of perfume. It's also important for you to know that the alabaster uh, flask was, uh, w- was a brittle, soft substance. It made it easy to break, and it housed perfume very well. That she brought perfume lets us know that this was a premeditated move on her part to come and anoint the feet of Jesus. Jesus had been teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God in other towns of Galilee, and somehow she heard, whether from somebody in the crowd or even she heard herself, and she believed in Jesus and the forgiveness he spoke of in his messages, and she believed that he would grant it to her. Concerning this woman, skipping down a little bit, down to verse 47, the NIV translates, her many sins have been forgiven. Whereas the ESV says, are forgiven. So let's talk about the verb in the Greek. It's in the perfect tense, which means it happened in the past. And I love this part. And it has a continuing effect even now. Had been forgiven. Are forgiven. It's important for you to know that in order for us to gain the full weight of what Jesus is saying to her. He's saying that her love is proof that she's already been forgiven. That clause in verse 37, I mean 47, is rendered for this reason. In other words, it's evidential what she was doing. It wasn't causal. It wasn't that because of her great love, Jesus forgave sins. No. No. He forgave sins, and because now it's reflexive, 
She has been forgiven of her sins. Now it pours out. It's not causal. It's evidential. That's according to David Garland in his commentary on Luke. It's a statement of assurance. Her great love proves that her many sins have been forgiven. She comes to Simon's house with her heart already changed. And this explains her behavior. She desired to be with her Savior. Her desires had changed. Her love had changed. Her loyalty had changed. And this is what it looks like when you have been forgiven. The evidence of her forgiveness is demonstrated by her great love. The love for Christ she had grew out of the forgiveness of her sins by Christ. Now we've got to be careful here. Some would wrongly interpret that she was saved because of her great love for the Savior. But if that were true, then that would be salvation by works. And we all know, we've memorized the Scripture. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. Not that of yourselves so that no man could boast. Jesus told her that her faith had saved her. Not her love. That her faith had saved her. Her great love grew out of the forgiveness that she had received. She does love deeply, however. But this comes after She believes that Jesus forgives. It was faith in Jesus that saved her. And her love was not the reason for her forgiveness. But it was an overflowing, an outflowing expression of that faith. And love is the fruit of faith according to Galatians chapter 5. As she approaches Jesus, Jesus, it would be helpful for you to know what the scene looked like around that she was walking into. What What it looked like around that table. The guests are gathered around the table. They'd be propped up on one elbow with their feet extended behind them. If you looked at an aerial view of the table, you would see people gathered around their table with the spokes of, like the spokes of a wheel with their feet pointing outward and away from the table. It was common to invite a visiting teacher or preacher to dinner. If you were not invited as a guest, you could enter and sit in the outer courtyard and hear the discussion. And this is where the woman is. William Barclay, who was a Scottish theologian, describes this setting. The house of well-to-do people were built around an open courtyard. And in the courtyard, there would be a garden and a fountain. And during warm weather, meals were eaten outdoors. It was the custom that when a rabbi was having a meal in such a house, all kinds of people came in. They were quite free to do so and to listen to the pearls of wisdom which would fall from his lips. And that explains the presence of this woman, according to William Barclay. At this point in the story, I know I've been talking for a while, and I know that we've already read the scripture, but at this point in the story, Jesus' feet are still dirty. And it was a setting much like this, where we read, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now she's nearing him. She's approaching him, standing behind him with that alabaster vial of perfume. She is overcome, and then it begins to happen. This is not what she'd planned. She begins to bawl. 
overwhelmed with a mixture of gratitude and reverent awe, she begins to wet his feet with her tears. The Greek word wet is breko. It means rain, shower. She is showering his feet with her tears. It's as if the sky had opened up. She had no water to wash his feet. What she did have, and this is what Martin Luther said of her, he called her tear heart water. She was showering heart water on our Savior's feet. Something else unexpected happened. Having brought no towel, what was she to do? And this time it's her breaking custom, not Simon, along with his many foibles. She breaks custom and lets down her hair. In its culture, if you're most likely you're aware that you don't let down your hair if you're a woman. You do that on the day of your wedding for your husband, but you don't let down your hair in public. So there were probably a few gasps that went around the table as she unbundled her hair and let it down to dry his feet. Simon, on the other hand, said if Jesus knew what sort of woman this was that is touching him, well, he must not be a prophet. Remember, one of the reasons Simon has brought Jesus around his table is to determine, is this guy Jesus a prophet? And now he's assessing. And he's going, he must not be a prophet then. Well, there it is. The prophet part. Jesus knows Simon's thoughts. So indeed, he is a prophet. Wouldn't you love it how Jesus just works in stuff like that? Jesus doesn't try to stop her because while Jesus talks and preaches about sin, he does not stiff harm her as Simon does. Simon would be going, what sort of woman is this? Simon is measuring. Simon wouldn't let her sort, her kind, come near him. Jesus, however, is letting her touch him. Let's talk for just a moment about the kissing of Jesus' feet. This wasn't a courtesy kiss. We referred earlier to, uh, if you were a host, as somebody came in the door, you'd give them a courtesy kiss apiece. This is not a courtesy kiss apiece. She was kissing his feet earnestly. And as Jesus said, she has not ceased kissing. That same word, Luke, the author of the scriptures that we're reading this morning, later in chapter 15, in verse 20, he uses this same word in his gospel to describe the father's embrace of the returning prodigal son when his father fell on his son's neck and kissed him in earnest. It's the way she was kissing Jesus' feet. She was a recipient of unexpected acceptance, knowing that she did nothing, that she was not worthy to receive such favor. And Jesus gave it, forgiving her great debt. And in response, in a deep gratitude and love, she's continually kissing the feet of Jesus. Not Simon. Simon couldn't enter into this joy because he didn't see himself in that way. He saw himself as deserving, at least Something. After all, wasn't he a good man? A good father? Respected in the community? 
memorized scripture, gave to the poor, probably served on some conservative action committees. Simon could not see himself as unworthy, and in so doing, he missed the opportunity to give the customary kiss of peace as Jesus entered his home. Simon failed big time. He missed the opportunity to kiss the face of God. What a missed opportunity. It wasn't Simon's way. Couldn't he see? Well, he improperly calculated his debt. He was blinded by his perceived goodness and effort. Surely I'm not as bad as that woman. So where Simon stiff arms people like her, Jesus doesn't stiff arm her, nor does he ask her to stop. Jesus accepted her heartfelt affections, and experiencing great forgiveness does that. She loves much. Next, she breaks open that alabaster vial of perfume. I've already mentioned to you that alabaster is a soft stone frequently used as a perfume container. The act of anointing Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume reflects great sacrifice. To the casual observer, this was an extravagant gesture, but in reality, it is the normal gesture and response of one who has heard him say, your sins are forgiven. Many would consider her actions as extravagant, over the top, and inappropriate. But it is actually the natural and appropriate response of love of one who has not been treated as one's sins deserve. So takeaway number one this morning, great love for Christ must find expression, even if it's risky. Number two, great love for Christ requires a proper calculation of our debt. Some of you may or may not know, I hold a registered nurse license. And uh, right before I came to work for, for the church, I had worked for Blue Cross and Blue Shield as a registered nurse. used to work in the in- intensive care unit. And in the intensive care unit, when somebody came in, if they had not had an EKG in the emergency room, they got one as they entered into the intensive care unit. We needed baseline. We needed to know what was going on in the heart. EKG actually reveals how healthy the heart is. So using the story of the two debtors that could not pay, Jesus contrasts the heart of Simon and the heart of the woman doing, if you will, a spiritual EKG. But not only on them, but also on those who are in the courtyard, on the hearers, and even on us this morning. Let me read from verse 41. Jesus gives this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Did you get that? Did you see it? Did you see that love comes after forgiveness? The moneylender forgave. Which one will love him more? Love is a reflex of not being treated as our sins deserve. I've got to tell you, being a debtor in Rome was serious business not to be able to pay the lender. There's, there's no chapter 7. There's no chapter 11 like we have. And failure to pay meant certain prison 
and maybe even slavery. To further put this in perspective for you this morning, a denarii was the average pay that a general skilled, not a skilled worker, but a general skilled day worker would be paid, which was about 28 bucks. 50 denarii would represent about two months' worth of work. 500 denarii would be about 18 months of wage. And for many, they would most likely be able, unable to repay. Think about that for you this morning. How long does it take you to save 18 months worth of salary? Now, you got your normal stuff going on. There's still car payments to be made, house payments to be made. You still got to do food, other items. How long would it take you to make 18 months worth of salary to pay back a debt? The point is, it was out of reach for both of them. And Jesus emphasized this by stating that they both were unable to pay. So what about us this morning? How how do we measure? How do we calculate our debt? Because this implication is built into the story. The story was designed to prompt a self-inventory for everyone present at the hearing of this story, not just Simon. The story requires a response, as does all truth. Jesus will go on in the next chapter to tell the parable of the sower and the seed. And Jesus said concerning that the good ground, which is representative of the hearts, are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with repentance. You have to respond to truth. That's the response, is bearing fruit. This story, like all other truth, requires a response. Do we love much or little? What is our response? Can I tell you? We tend to be like Simon and miscalculate our indebtedness. We misread the results of our own spiritual EKG. You may be surprised to find out that we ourselves tilt towards thinking of ourselves as the debtor of 50 denarii. Certainly not 500 denarii. We tilt towards thinking of ourselves as the one who has the lower debt. We tend to be more like Simon than the woman in miscalculating our debt. Let's read Jesus' own interpretation of Simon's EKG because he's he's the cardiologist of all cardiologists, right? I mean, if he's going to read an EKG, it's going to be right. And so here it is, verse 41. A certain money lender had two debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no Water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Can we look at this from a a different camera angle for a moment? 
And let's bring into focus what one commentator said. Simon had the Holy One of Israel in his house, reclining at his table. The prophet that Moses had foretold was sharing dinner with Simon. The Lord of glory, the resurrection, and the life was speaking with him face to face. The great climactic moment of history. Simon claimed that he had been living for, had arrived. It was in his house. It was sitting at his table. It should have been a deliriously wonderful, breathtaking honor for Simon to host the Messiah. Simon was not amazed. Simon had a vision problem. He could not see as he was blinded by his own morals, his good works and efforts, not aware of his great need. Simon couldn't see God eating at his table. Simon's EKG of his heart revealed Jesus saying to him time and time again, Simon, you gave me no. You gave me no. You did not. The woman's EKG, however, revealed by Jesus to Simon when he tells Simon, but she has. But she did. But she has. You need to know that in, in those customs that they just breeze through very quickly, and each time that it's being rehearsed before us, that custom is being elevated. There's an increase in its value and in its worth of her personal expression. Ointment worth a year's wage if it was nard, not olive oil. Rather than the more common, relatively inexpensive cost of olive oil, which was needed to refresh the face. Now watch this increase. Her own tears versus simple water. Number three, the repeated kissing of his feet, which was definitely not customary, versus the customary kiss of the peace on the cheek. You see, great love requires a proper calculation of our debt. And Simon could not see. Jesus even had to use the word see. See this woman, Simon. Simon can only dwell on the sinner's past record. In theory, at least, he believed in forgiveness, at least for himself. But it did not galvanize him to see that being, see that being true for others like this woman. Simon could not see that the woman had changed. Her sins which mur- were many. That's all he could see. He couldn't see that there was a past tense that happened, that they had been forgiven, and it was continuing to work. Don't you love that? (laughs) In the past, what we have committed to him can continue to be at work in us. So the question for us this morning is, Do we see sinners for who they have been or for what God can and is making of them? Here's another question. A lot of questions this morning, guys. Have we miscalculated our own indebtedness? By the way, how do you calculate your debt? Here's the answer. It's measured by the cost of the sacrifice to cancel it. Also, by the unworthiness of the one who is being forgiven. It requires both considerations. The cost of the sacrifice to cancel the debt and the unworthiness of the one who is being forgiven. That's how you calculate your debt. Simon is our natural drift. 
And this is why we need to take long, long looks at the cross. As we look at the gospel of Christ, here's what we see. It should be on a slide behind us. This is the correct calculation. The gospel says we lost it all. A distorted gospel says we lost a lot. The gospel says he did it all. The distorted gospel says he did a lot. The gospel, we get it all. A distorted gospel, we get a lot. This is the correct calculation of our debts. Simon's spiritual EKG revealed, yeah, I need a little forgiveness, but not as much as that one, not that woman. Simon had a casual perception of his neediness. In reality, Simon did not see his great need, and thus his sins remain unforgiven, and he remains ungrateful and unloving. He did not properly count his own indebtedness And so his guilt remains. But there are others around that table. What's going on in their heads? Watch his reaction. Verses 48 and 50, Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Raises the eyebrows of those gathered around the table with Jesus. Evidenced by them saying, who is this who forgives sins? Let's zoom in now. I'm sorry. Let's zoom out. And let's look at the 20,000 foot view. Summarizing where we've come so far this morning. At the beginning of the meal, Simon and the others were trying to figure out if Jesus was a prophet. They heard earlier where Jesus commanded the young dead man to sit up in the city of Nain. And we're told in verse 39 that Simon says to himself, if this were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this was. But now in verse 49, they're having to consider another possibility. Is this God? Only God can forgive sins. Note the progression. At their table, in one meal, going from prophet to God at my table. They're trying to figure out if Jesus is a prophet. A prophet? Yes. But much more than a prophet. And that's not what they expected. So great love for Christ requires a proper calculation of our indebtedness. But it also requires a proper calculation of Christ's mercy. A proper calculation of His mercy will increase our own personal love and gratitude. More reflective of this woman's demonstrative love. The main point of this text is that Simon is blind and doesn't understand his indebtedness. The woman does. And the result is her affections are different. A proper calculation comes from recognizing that great love comes from an increased awareness of being forgiven much. Now here's a question I've been waiting for a while to ask you. How do we this morning take our place beside the woman at the feet of Jesus' feet, worshiping Him because of His great mercy. How do we take our place beside this woman? Well, first, we want to look long at the cross. Look long at the cost of the sacrifice. Study what it cost. It cost the death of the Son of God. Our sins must have been horrific. 
The father didn't go to the cross himself. He sent his son for his own enemies. He is the landowner that Jesus spoke of who said, I will give them my son. And the son was willing. He didn't shy back even to the experience and the point of separation from God so that we would not have to dwell there. Look long at the cross. Take frequent trips to the cross and dwell on what he did, what it cost him and the Father together. How do we take our place beside the woman at Jesus' feet? It's by recognizing and celebrating that he does not deal with us according to strict justice. He does not deal with us according to our sins. For who could stand? He deals with us according to his compassion. Psalm says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So what is our response? Well, our heart melts, doesn't it? I am joined to him because I am joined to him. And every time I hear the story, I I get joined more to him as to you. And I become loyal to that kind of unsurpassed love. Mercy, undeserved favor produces in us that kind of love and gratitude. After years of knowing Jesus John Newton, the writer of the hymn that we sang this morning, Amazing amazing Grace, took his place again and again and again at the feet of Jesus, saying, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Newton took his place beside that woman at the feet of Jesus. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Simon was not amazed. Are, are you? So what about it? Where do you fall? Are you a 50 denarii debtor this morning? Or are you a 500 denarii sinner? Or maybe even more? Really, that's not the question. Don't get caught up in measuring. It's a bunch. Simon was counting the woman. She lost count. As far as she was concerned, even Jesus confirmed this. It was a bunch, calling it many. The point is, all of us are in debt and unable to pay. In reality, we're all in the place of this woman at the feet of Jesus, undeserving, not having earned his affection, but received it through his unfathomable grace. This is a proper calculation of Christ's mercy. And great forgiveness produces great love. It wasn't too long ago that I was with a first-year financial and litigation attorney. We were talking about a case where a man was filing a personal consumer bankruptcy. This involved several hundred thousand dollars of debt. No way could this guy pay. No amount of effort towards giving or paying those debts would even make a dent in the balance owed. When the case was over and the debt was discharged, the man who owed the hundreds of thousands of dollars turned to the attorney and said, That's it? 
feels like there should be something more to do. There is nothing more to do but to live in light of that debt forgiveness. Listen to me, Gulf Coast, this morning. There is not 1% more to do. It's over. It's done. He canceled your debt. It is finished. The only debt that we owe now is to mercy alone. Because of his great forgiveness, great unwarranted mercy produces great love. Someone in this room this morning needs to hear Jesus say to you again, your sins have been forgiven. Go in peace. If that's you, revel in that he has set his affection upon you. No matter how bad you've messed up, there's not 1% more to do. Live in light of that debt that's been canceled. Father, I thank you for your great forgiveness. And we recognize that this, your forgiveness, is our only hope. On the palms of your hands, our names are etched, and eternity cannot erase it. We're pressed on your heart. It remains the marks of an indelible grace. I to the end will endure until I bow down at your throne. Forever and always secure. Forever and always secure. Forever and always secure. A debtor to mercy alone. Let's pray. Feel so good, Father. To have the debts that were once against you to be canceled. And now, if there's a debt we have, it's one to mercy alone. When you cried, it is finished. Our works were no more. You've completed your work. And then you sat down by the Father on his right hand, signifying that all had been done. Lord, refresh our hearts this morning with your thoughts towards us. Lord, may we capture every day that mercies are new every morning and that your faithfulness is great. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?